I'm excited to be with you this morning. You know, last week we had Vision Sunday. We took a little bit of a break from our series. We're in our last week of our series entitled Not One Pinstroke. And in this series, we are looking at the Old Testament law because within these passages, we see the principles of how God intended for a community of believers to live by. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at a variety of themes. We've looked at the Ten Commandments, which is an overarching view of how God intended for us to relate to Him and relate to others. And then over the next several weeks, we dive into the specifics of that, of how we worship God, how God has standards for our worship to Him, and how we are also to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. Today we're going to be ending this series by looking at the principle of building the house, and I want to jump right into the passage this morning in Exodus chapter number 35. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Exodus chapter 35, and we're going to start reading in verse number 4. And we have quite a bit to read. It's a little bit tedious, but we need to to dive through this because we're going to go somewhere with this. Exodus chapter 35, starting verse number four, it says this. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, Blue and purple and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, achaic wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant uh, incense, uh, onyx stones and stones for a setting and a fod and for the breast pieces. So he's saying you need to bring together material, contributions to the Lord, things that are going to be needed to build the house. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle and its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars and its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles and the mercy seat and the veil of the screen and the table and its poles and all of its utensils and the bread of the presence and the lampstand also for the light and with its utensils and the lamps and the oil for the lights and the altar of incense with its poles and its anointing oils and the fragrant incenses and the screen for the door and the door for the tabernacle. The altar of bronze offerings with its grating of bronze, its poles and its utensils, the basins and its stands and the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screens for the gate of the court, the pegs for the tabernacle and the pegs for the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for the ministering of the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for the service as priest. So he's saying there's a lot of stuff that we need to gather and we got a lot of work to do. And here's what verse 20 says. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him brought the Lord's contributions to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its services and for its holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were willing of heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, and every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or finely or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins and goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who had possession of a cake wood uh, of any use brought the work, brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen. All the women who heart stirred them 
To use their skills, spun the goat hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spices and the oil for the lights and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and the women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Wow, now we just read a lot. What in the world are we reading about? Well, the Israelites are in a building campaign. How many of you ever had a DIY project at the house or a building campaign in a church? Okay, you don't want to admit to it because you've been part of them before and it caused you to lose your religion. How many has ever remodeled a church bathroom? Oh, the groan. Did you hear the collective groan in the room? It's like, oh, I don't even want to raise my hand to that. I lost my religion at least twice. Both times we're in a church bathroom doing a remodel. Because if you've ever been a part of a remodel in a church, it's a wonderful process where you have about 30 people show up, you have 40 different opinions, and you have about two people doing the work. Then somebody comes in after these two souls do the work, and then they say, well, you did it all wrong, we need to redo it again. And so then you get to rip out all the work that you just did so they can give you a fresh opinion of what needs to happen, and then they leave. I've been there. Happened twice, back-to-back years. First time was in the bathrooms in the foyer. I really lost my religion in that bathroom because everything was too small. There wasn't enough room. It was costing lots of money. And somebody had a big idea, let's remodel the bathroom. And then they didn't know what they were doing. And I didn't know what I was doing. So it just turned into a lot of not knowing what was doing. Many of you, your marriages have suffered this. You started to remodel something in your house. You started this wonderful idea after you watched the Fixer Upper because, you know, the Gaineses can do it, so why can't we? And then you start out, but what you realize, it's not all fun and games because they have the camera and that guy with the long hair that I don't know his name, he's like, ah, and there's no, ah, everybody's just screaming and yelling at each other, right, before it's done. Why? Because capital campaigns and remodels can be stressful, to say the least. Well, that's exactly what they're in in this season. The Israelites are in the middle of a building campaign. We see from this passage that the Lord is calling the people to build a tabernacle. Now, to understand what's going on in our timeline, let's just refresh ourselves. This is before Jesus, and God has chosen the Hebrew people, the Israelites, to be the people who are going to found a nation who are going to have a promised land in which the Savior of the world was going to come from, ultimately, Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that God did not choose the Hebrews because they were righteous. God chose them because he was going to make them an example of how God wanted to save every single person on this planet. The Jews were in slavery in Egypt, just as we were all in slavery to our sin. And the blood of a lamb caused death to pass over them to free them from their slavery, just as the blood of Jesus covers us so that death passes over us and we are freed from our slavery of sin. So the Israelites are a type of shadow for all of us and what God wants for our lives, we can see reflected in the nation of Israel. Now, we have had many highlights over the last several weeks, and now we're at the really the end of this pivotal moment where God is speaking to the people at Mount Sinai, and he has commanded them to build a tabernacle, which was going to be the focal point of their worship. 
It's important to understand that the tabernacle was a large tent with an inner court. And that inner room, Pastor Eli referred to it a moment ago, would be referred to as the Holy of Holies. And it was a place where the presence of God dwelled. Now, there would have been an outer court. And in this outer court, the practices of worship and sacrifice would have been performed. The Ark of the Covenant needed to be made. There was lampstands that needed to be made. There was a lot of projects that needed to be completed we just read about a moment ago. And everything was to be made from the finest materials available to them. Structurally, this was a massive undertaking. When you and I think about constructing a tent, it doesn't sound like it's that complicated. However, when you look at all the utensils and the value of covering everything in gold and bronze and silver, conservatively, this project would have cost about $70 million in today's money, mainly because of the gold and the precious metals for the project. And the important thing to see is that this was more than intent. The tabernacle was a place of worship, and it represented something important. If you were to look in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament after Jesus, what the book of Hebrews would tell you is that this tabernacle is a type and shadow of the work that Jesus was going to do in our life. So the priest offering the sacrifices, all of these things was a picture, an emblem of what Jesus is going to do and did for you and I in heaven. And so this entire project was important. It, it had meaning. God was using the Israelites to paint a picture for all of humanity of how he wanted to save them. And so this work was incredibly important. God had a mission and a mandate for the Israelites, and they were in movement. They were heading somewhere, and they were to accomplish the plan that God had for them. That's why the work was important. It was to be performed with a sense of urgency. It was to be performed with the highest sense of excellence. It was to be performed with a, a sense of priority. Why? Because this physical tent represented an internal implication. And here's the point for us today, and here's the big idea of this message, is that God has called his church, he's called us as individuals to a physical mission that has eternal implications. What God has called us to do as individuals and as a church has eternal implications. It is more than just completing a task here on earth. It's a task that ultimately brings him glory, that ultimately perhaps saves and changes the direction of someone else's eternity, therefore has eternal purpose to it. We have a spiritual house to build. We are not going to build a tabernacle out of gold and goat hair. Now, that would be kind of cool, though, if you think about it. I mean, I could actually get behind that a little bit. However, what we are called to do is we are called to build a spiritual house. We are called to take the gospel into all nations, making disciples of all people. As a local church, we have to live out a powerful culture inside of here that impacts people in this community. We talk about this often. We have to live according to the Word of God. We have to have fellowship with the Lord. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We have to love and care for one another as family, and we have to be looking for the next generation of believers. And as we do that, we're building an eternal house that is going to bring glory to God. That's His mandate and His calling to us. And the fact that this group of people is in this local 
local church for this season is not by accident. You are here for a reason. I am here for a reason. We are put together in this local body for a specific work to do. We talked about this a little bit last week in our Vision Sunday. We are praying for 40 people to be baptized this year. How awesome would that be to see 40 people come up out of the water? We are believing that through our, our, our willingness to be extravagant in our giving and our generosity in this community that perhaps those small acts of kindness towards someone else can point to Jesus. We are believing that as we are growing, that we are going to be looking for new people in this church and that we are going to take it upon ourselves as individuals to welcome people to the family and create relationship with them. Here's what we need to see. Every single one of us has a role to play within this calling. I need to be in the community telling people about Jesus. You need to be in the community telling people about Jesus. I need to be looking for opportunities to be generous. You need to look for opportunities to be generous. I need to be investing in and discipling people. You need to be investing in and discipling people. We all have work to do. Just as it was going to take the entire nation to pull off this $70 million building project that God was calling them to, so too it's going to take every single one of us playing our role, fulfilling our calling in our life in order to do what God has called us to do. Here's what we have to understand. Church is more than a building, and it's more than a social gathering. If you look at the trajectory of our current nation and our culture, if we are getting together just simply to have a social gathering, we won't be here for long. It's just not going to happen. In fact, I was reading an article this morning that was just dumbfounding to me. It was an article that was, uh, how many of you have ever got on snoops.com? Like you've thought, you've heard something like, I don't think that's true. And so you've looked it up. I was reading an article on there today that, and I don't know who this guy is. It doesn't really matter. It's just, it was on there. It was on this website. It was basically saying that, um, that he is claiming that people who believe in the creation account are conspiracy theorists. He said, this goes against science. It's conspiracy theorists. It has all the hallmarks of a conspiracy theorist. And I was like, wow, that's the direction of the culture where you believe in biblical truth. Now you're a conspiracy theorist. Here's what that teaches us. That shouldn't make us afraid. It shouldn't make us fearful. But what it does show is it shows that the, the direction of our culture is such that if we're here for any other reason than for Jesus and his glory, we won't be here in the next few years. So we have to be witnessing of, of who Christ is to our neighbor. We have to be doing what we can. There's, there's tangible, physical things that we do that make an eternal impact. When you volunteer in kids' men or in youth, you never know when your godly influence can change the course of the generation that is behind you. You never know when you greet in the foyer and your warm words prime the heart of someone to receive the gospel. You never know when you help care for a widow or an orphan how you're reflecting the heart of God who cares for those people. When you're generous to someone in the community is down on their luck, you never know when that small act of encouragement might change their life. So just as the Israelites had a mandate to build the tabernacle, so too we have a mandate from heaven to reflect heaven on earth through our actions. The expression, the Israelites obeyed the Lord, is spoken 20 times in the next several chapters. They were, at least in this season, completely committed to the work that God was calling them to do. The question is for us, are we going to be completely committed to the work that God has called us to do? If we are, 
it's going to require three things. It's going to require a stirred heart. It's going to require an attitude of generosity. And it's going to require skilled hands. And I want to see, show you for the next few moments some principles of how we see those three things play out in this passage and how when those three things are in play, you can do anything that God has called you to do. The first thing we see is this. To build the house, we have to allow our hearts to be stirred. How many times did we read in this passage a moment ago, and for those whose heart is stirred, what's really interesting is that God told Moses everything needed to be built. And like I said, the price tag was $70 million. That is a lot of money. You can build a pretty nice tent for $70 million, right? So $70 million, and God didn't demand one person to bring anything. In our passage, God said, let those who have a stirred heart bring an offering for the project. Isn't that interesting? Like if you were God, what would you do? I know what I would do. I would say, look, I just saved you from slavery. You owe me. Bring me something. I mean, that's, we do that, don't we? We, we exchange favors, and we know we're not supposed to, but, you know, if you buy somebody's breakfast and it's $20 and you go out next week, you kind of expect them to pick it up next week, right? You know, if you're always going out to eat with someone and you're always picking up the bill, you're going to stop going out and eat with that person, right? That's kind of a dirtbag thing to do, and so... You don't want to be that person. And so we are constantly looking and exchanging favors, but that's not how it works in the economy of God. God said if somebody's heart is stirred, then let them bring something. Why? Because God's more concerned with your heart than anything else. And here's the principle. The slant of your heart will show your spiritual condition. The principle was not the size of the offering. It was the submission of the heart. And church, if we're ever going to fulfill the mission that the Lord has given to us, it's going to require us to be sensitive to the stirring of the heart in our own life. It's going to, be, it's going to require us to be sensitive with our, our finances. It's going to be required us to be sensitive with our offering, with our tithe, with looking out for our neighbors, looking buying someone's meal. It's going to require us to be sensitive with our time. It's going to be require us to be sensitive when we know we have a hundred other things we do. We carve out some time to serve our neighbor or serve in the church or serve in the community. It's going to require us to be sensitive with our giftings. All of these areas... God could lay his finger on at any moment and stir us. Now, you need to understand something. If you think that I'm only talking about finances, you're missing the point. Some of us need to be stirred where we're serving. Some of us need to be stirred with our gifts that we have. You might feel a pull to invest with the kids. We have a lot of kids. They just don't have anything. I want to to brag on Jake. Jake's going to be mad at me for doing this, but... um, Pastor Jamie's trying to do something out there with the kids, uh, specifically the World Rangers. And a lot of our young boys, they just don't have dads. I mean, they just don't. And so Jamie and I were talking this last year, and we came up with this idea. And one of the ideas was we're going to ask different guys if they serve for a month and teach just basic life skills. And through those basic life skills, you can teach spiritual principles. And Jake volunteered to go first. Yeah, come on. Give him a hand. Right? Now, I, I can say this pretty confidently, that Jake had to let his heart be stirred to do that. And he goes out there, and he's teaching kids how to just basic hygiene and grooming. And if you've ever had a boy, you know that's a need. Lord help them. 
You know, I mean, because we want them to get married, we want them to get jobs, and they look like their you know, hair's going everywhere, they smell bad, and some of you ladies are like, my husband needs this class. <laughs> ladies will have Jake on Wednesday night, you know. All right, here's how, you actually have to get wet in the shower, you know. The soap has to make it onto your body, I mean, all those things, right? But what happened in that moment is he allowed his heart to be stirred to go out there and say yes to something. And that's scary. Because I can tell you, because I know his work schedule, it's a sacrifice of time to make sure he gets off work on time to be here. And then he's going to drive an hour to get here because of where he works from. All of those things are sacrifices that he was willing to make because he let his heart be stirred. Some of us need to be stirred in our skill set. We could go and we could open up our homes because we have something. We could take in an orphan as a foster child. We could be, allow our hearts to be stirred and we could go to Marone Manor and sit there and talk with the residents. There's a lot of needs and opportunities for us to reflect Christ in this world. Feeling the pull doesn't do us any good. Submission to the Holy Spirit's stir is what produces a harvest. And here's the principle for us. If we haven't been stirred in our hearts in a while, then perhaps we lay our hearts before the Lord and say, stir my heart once again. Put something fresh inside of my heart. If I'm too content in this season, make me uncomfortable. That's a scary prayer to pray. Because when we do pray that prayer, the Lord tends to take us up on that offer. Second thing we need to see is this. If we're going to build a house, then we're going to have to be generous people. A stirred heart always leads to generosity. This is the part that we need to see. Every aspect to make the tabernacle be built was an object of giving. They had to give in their time, they had to give in their talent, and they had to give in their treasure. Those were the three things that they were going to have to give if they were going to get this project built. And the reality is, if we're going to reflect Christ's nature into this world, then we too are going to have to give of our time. We're going to give of our talent. We're going to have to give of our treasure. And we can only fulfill the great commission of God when we do that. We fulfill the call of the local church when we are generous in those areas with our life. A stirred heart is always going to be moved to the point where you give. Giving always means sacrifice every single time. Now, $70 million is a lot of money. How did these people acquire this kind of capital? They were just in slavery. They had been in slavery for over 400 years. Where did they come up with this kind of money? Well, if you were to go back several chapters to Exodus 12, right before the Passover, right before they leave Egypt, God had given them a command in Exodus 12, starting verse 35. It says this, The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, For they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. If you read the whole chapter, God basically tells Moses, look, these people have been in slavery. They've been robbed for the last 400 years, and I'm about to make it right. I'm going to stir the heart of the Egyptians so that when an Israelite comes and asks them for an article of gold or silver or clothing, that the Egyptian is going to give it to them just to get them out of their hair. And that's exactly what the people did. So they went, they asked their neighbors for stuff. The Egyptians gave them gold, silver, bronze, all of the stuff and said, get out of here. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they had all of this blessing that God had just turned to them. Now the question is, were they going to turn loose with what God had just given them? 
The question for us is this. All of us have been blessed by the Lord. You know how I know that? Because you get to live in America. We are one of the most blessed people on the planet. And no matter how bad we have it, there are most people in the world have it way worse than we do. So the question is simply this. Are we going to turn loose with what God has brought into our life? Are we going to be willing to be generous with the things that God has brought to us? Some of you have amazing skill set that God has gifted you with. Are you willing to use that for his kingdom? God has brought for you, some of you, you have additional time on your hands. You've done kicked your kids out of the house or you're in a place where you're not working the job. I mean, who knows what it is? Are you going to be willing to, to, to be a blessing with those things? The people had to use what God had brought to them in order to make the house be built. And here's the principle. Generosity in the life of a believer is always rooted in the understanding of what God has done in your life. Every single one of us who call ourselves Christians at some point was a slavery to sin, and God rescued us by the power of his mighty hand and blessed us, according to Scripture, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So how could we not be generous back to the Lord? Generosity is always rooted in understanding of what God has done for us, and it's rooted in a love for the Lord himself. If God has done all these things for us, Should we not have a heart inclined to love him back? If we give for the approval of man, then we miss the point of giving. If we give to return to the Lord, that's the key. This is why as a pastor, it's really important that I tell you this all the time. I don't look at giving statements because none of those things matter. Those things are between you and the Lord. Where's your heart? Generosity is not synonymous with fat checks. We know that because Jesus told us that. He's sitting there watching one day by the offering plate and all these rich people come through and drop large amounts of money in to make a big show. And then a widow comes by and drops a couple dollars and he said, she gave more than everybody else. Why? Because her heart was completely surrendered. She gave all she had. If Bill Gates gave a million dollars and a woman, a widow lady gave a thousand, who gave more money? The widow lady. Why? Because it was out of her need. Jesus made that point. Here's what we need to know. Here's what else we need to know about the principle of generosity. Notice that God wasn't asking the people to give something that they did not have to give. I've never read in a scripture where God demanded someone to give something that they did not have. Giving is always a proportion to what you have. Some of you don't have time to give. Some of you, if you were to look at your schedule, you do not have time to volunteer. Now understand that. You shouldn't. If you're so hooked up that you're going to sacrifice time from your family or from your kids in order to come up here on a Monday night to help us with something, tell us no. Why? Because your kids are more important than anything we have going up here. Your top priority is your family. If you're always doing so much for the church that you never get to spend time with your wife, then you're doing too much for the church. Why? Because God did not ask you to give something that you don't have. Some of you, you might be saying, man, I'm volunteering in a position where I'm not gifted in. And man, it is wearing me out. You know what? If that's the case, come talk to us. Get out of there. Why? Because God's not asking you to give something you don't have. These people were stirred and they brought what they had. Be faithful with what you have. Furthermore, I want to make one more point here. Notice that there was no record of who gave what. Everyone contributed what they could, and their contributions were all viewed the same. Why do I make this point? Because some of you have seen a need. 
hypothetically speaking, you saw someone in need, you said, man, all I got is $5, and you gave your $5 to that person, you felt guilty because you couldn't do more. Don't feel guilty for doing more, for not being able to do more than what God has blessed you with. Be faithful with what God has given you. Some of you feel guilty because you say, man, I wish I could volunteer more. I just, I just can't. Don't feel guilty. God wants you to do those things. He will bring that increase in your life. So to build a house, you have to allow your heart to be stirred. To build a house, you, we need to be generous people. And third, to build a house, we have to have skillful hands. Now, what's really interesting, I'm going to start reading in after where we just stopped in Exodus 35, starting in verse number 30. Here's what it says. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs and to work gold and silver and bronze in cutting stones for the setting and carving wood for work in every skilled craft. Here's what I want you to notice, that God placed people in position to get the work done. Not only did he bring them the resources, but he brought the skilled hands into that place in order to build it. So through their generosity and their skill set, they were able to build the house. If you're Moses and you're up on the mountain with God and you get these instructions from the Lord to build a tabernacle, I'm sure that Moses was sweating because he didn't know anything about building this stuff. How was he going to build this and design all these ornate things? If you go read in the Bible, I mean, there was some intricacy here. I mean, everything was overlaid with some sort of precious metal. Everything had to be carved into like a flower. And I mean, it's just very ornate and distinct. How, how is this going to happen? Well, God told Moses, I filled some people with my spirit. I've given them the skill, the intelligence, the knowledge, the craftsmanship in order to build the house. And what's so amazing about Scripture is that it makes it abundantly clear, the most two obvious places, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that God has placed His Spirit inside of His believers, and He has blessed them with spiritual gifts. There are gifts and skill sets and abilities that God has placed inside of the heart of all of us, and God's Spirit has empowered those skill sets, He's empowered those giftings in order for us to accomplish what He has called us to do. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here's what Peter was saying. God has gifted you, so be a good steward with the gift that he has placed inside of you. It was by his grace that it's there to begin with. There are countless ways in which you and I are called to fulfill the Great Commission, and the Lord has placed all of us in this room with a variety of skill set by His grace, and we're called to live that out. When you start looking around this room at the talent that is represented in this room, it's amazing. I heard this one time, and it's so true. It's analogy principle. When Saul was being tormented by the demons in the New Test, or excuse me, in the Old Testament. He said, I need, I need a musician to play to soothe my rage. And they got David. David got to play before the king because he was a skilled musician. And here's the reality. You get to perform before a king because God has gifted you and skilled you in a variety of reasons. So don't hide your talent that the Lord has placed inside of your life. I, could start, I was tempted this morning to start naming names of people who serve in this church, and I decided not to do that because I would get myself in trouble because I wouldn't have the time to 
give everyone the proper recognition. I promise if you just stop for just five minutes and you look around, you'll see a lot of people in this place that are incredibly gifted, that they're using their ability to try to make a difference in the life of someone else. We can't stop. All of us have something that we can contribute to that work. Moses wasn't skilled at building tabernacles. And as a pastor, there's a lot of things, more things than not, that I don't have knowledge or skill to accomplish. But you do. And perhaps together, when we form a cohesive body with each of us contributing, we can accomplish something. So the question then becomes, how do I find my giftings? How do I find my skill set? I think the fact of the matter is there's lots of tests, strength finders, spiritual gift assessment, all the stuff. At the end of the day, here's the simple way. Let me simplify it for you. Just start trying some things. You'll find that. I've seen that to be true in my own life. When I started out feeling the call to ministry, I thought there were certain things that I was going to be really good at that I was actually terrible at. There was other things I thought I was going to be terrible at that I can actually kind of halfway do. And so I'd encourage you, if you're not sure where those giftings, those skill sets are, go through next steps. Step out somewhere in faith. And if it doesn't fit, move to the next thing. Keep moving around until you find a fit. Well, how do I know if it's a fit? You'll know, and people and authority in your life will know. Paul told that to Timothy. Apparently, Timothy was a pretty good pastor because people recognized it, a group of elders, and they prayed over him, and they laid their hands on him. And so when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, fan into flame the gift that was given to you through the laying on of hands. So what that shows us is that there was a group of people in Timothy's life that said, son, I think you're really gifted in this. And we're behind you 110%. So when you start trying to do things and saying, God, where's my skill set in this season? Start trying to do a few things and see what the authority in your life speaks into it. Now, sometimes you have to welcome that, by the way. You have to welcome that. But when you welcome that, everything will be just all right. One last point on the skill set. We'll start wrapping. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and start coming. Some of you might have been in a rut for a while. Maybe you've been serving the same spot in the church for the last 30 years, and you say, you know what, I feel stuck. That happens. It's happened to me before. Change it up a little bit. Don't let yourself get burnt out. We're notorious in church world for if, you, if we find somebody to fill a hole, we'll let them do it until they just can't bear to take it anymore. How many of you have been there? Like, yeah, but who will do it? I don't know. Some of you came to me and said, I'm done. I'm going to be sweating and praying hard. But here's what I do know is that God's placed us all together. Don't let yourself get burnt out where you want to quit on God and quit on your fellow man because you're tired of the task. You have a gifting. You have a reason. Don't get stuck. Stay in movement. What's really interesting, if you start reading in Exodus 36, is that it says this in verse 2, Moses called Bazil and Olab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill and everyone whose heart stirred him came to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for the doing of the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, okay, let's pause. So they had all these different craftsmen, 
and they were responsible for completing different aspects of the overall part project. So think of these two guys as like the general contractor and you had a bunch of subcontractors. Well, the whole lot of them came to Moses and here's what they said. The people bring much more than enough for the doing of the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient to do the work and more. So all these guys came to Moses and said, look, tell the people, stop bringing it. We can't handle any more of it. It's more than enough. And the principle that I want you to see here, it's amazing that when the people of God allow their hearts to be stirred, that there is more than enough time, talent, and treasure in this room to accomplish what God has called us to do. More than enough. As these people were bringing an offering to the Lord, they brought it every day according to this passage. Maybe every day they woke up and they thought of something else they could donate. Maybe they thought, man, God was good yesterday, so I'm going to praise Him some more today. God's mercies are new every day, so I'm going to bring a new offering every day. Maybe they saw their buddy over here bringing some and they felt, you know, spurred on to give. I, either way, it doesn't matter. The point is their heart was stirred and there was more than enough. In church, there is more than enough for us to accomplish what God has called us to do if we simply allow our hearts to be stirred. If you would, please stand with me this morning. Today, my altar call is very simple. Will you allow the Lord to stir your heart once again? Will you allow the Lord to stir your heart once again? Because here's what I know, is that I truly believe and we can see 40 people get baptized, but it's only gonna happen if we allow the Lord to stir our heart and we see people in our life that we can tell about Him. I truly believe that we can make a difference in this community we can change the feel for a lot of people's day-to-day life when we're generous. I truly believe that we won't be just a church that sees people come in, but we'll be a church of healthy people if we allow our hearts to be stirred so that we see our neighbor that we're sitting next to on a Sunday morning. The simple question is, will you allow your heart to be stirred? Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. Lord, in this place today, Lord, I pray that we would just turn our hearts to you, Lord, and that we would lay our heart bare and we say, Lord, start to stir me anew. Stir me anew. Lord, I pray that you would give us the the courage to let you begin to put your finger on our hearts. Lord, some of us, we're stuck in a rut, and Lord, it's time for us to try something new. Some of us, Lord, we're stuck in our seat, and it's time for us to get out. Lord, some of us, we're trying to do everything, and Lord, we need to learn to pull back. Lord, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you'd stir us up. Stir our hearts. Stir our hearts. Very simply this morning, if you're here and you say, you know what? God, stir my heart. I just want you to raise a hand. If you're willing to pray that prayer with me this morning, I just want to invite you to raise a hand. Lord, stir my heart. Stir my heart. The worship team's going to play and is going to sing, and I want to encourage you for the next few moments. You can come down to the altar. You can pray in your seat, but pray that prayer. God, stir my heart.